So I tell you what, uh, you guys, I made muffins and madeleines and all that stuff because I love to bake. And I grew the grapes, massaged each one with love. Um, so a couple things. One is that um, I want to do a Marian consecration. Um, so I put these at the table. Uh, it's a book. I really like the book. Um, want to promote it. I don't know if you can always re-consecrate yourself to Mary because I plan on doing it every year. Then on the feast of um, the Immaculate Conception, you can consecrate yourself. So um, just want to promote that. Um, secondly, what else do I Okay, I think that woman's dangerous. Do we have security here? Do, do you have a taser on you? <laughs> um, so let's start in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, we ask you to bless us with your Holy Spirit that our lives may truly be an outpouring of hospitality in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I should have said, St. Carlo, pray for us. Um, so, welcome to our second class on the Gospel of Luke. Um, I'm going to do something embarrassing, and that is um, my eyes are going, so even with 20-point font, I have to wear cheaters. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Um, so, no, no, it is embarrassing, even with 20-point. And, you know, like, I got these from the Lost and Found, and... I figure if somebody didn't pick them, claim them. So, but somebody keeps saying they're women's glasses, which I don't really care because, like, they're really good. Like, I can see. Um, so we're starting going to start with meal number one and two, but I want to start with a prologue. Um, and the odd part is that the prologue to the gospel it was written first, um, but it has all the themes in the gospel in miniature. And... Uh, just to let you know, in the prologue, women play a big role in the Gospel of Luke. So Luke emphasizes women. Like Mary, most of what we know about the Virgin Mary comes from the Gospel of Luke. Mary, Elizabeth, Anna. Joseph is very Jewish, so it's going to emphasize um, men more. It emphasizes uh, Joseph. So that's Matthew. But the, even like Elizabeth, you have this theme of at first, her being barren, but um, that curse, and they would have considered a curse to be barren, actually becomes, um, uh, for Elizabeth, a sign of God's glory. And <clears throat> what I love about Elizabeth is that she emphasizes the power of hope, that hope is illogical. It really is. Hope is illogical. Her hope is in the fact that she's, quote-unquote, righteous, um, that word gets used a lot. The centurion at his death will, will say that he was righteous. Righteous means that you live in right relationship with others. Hope comes from this right relationship with God. Because the Pharisees, their hope comes from, well, we obey all these rules and, rules and regulations that we made up. The Romans, their hope comes from the power of dominating. Um, but for Elizabeth and other people in the the Gospel of Luke, they keep showing that, yeah, we might have every disadvantage, but our hope comes from the right relationship. So I love what the angel Gabriel says about Elizabeth, is that she who believes in a God of impossibilities. Isn't that a great title for somebody? Um, and it's Elizabeth who's the first to say to, about Jesus, uh, call him Lord. And in the Jewish mindset, um, the word Lord and Yahweh are the same word. So if you're ever reading the Bible and it says Lord, but it has all capitals, that's code for, that actually is, Yahweh. So Elizabeth is actually first to call Jesus, really God. Um, and I love the fact that it's an old women who, woman who's considered cursed to make the Like, the Pharisees are always the example of how not to be religious. And the Pharisees, they would want Mary stoned to death because she's found pregnant before the final act of marriage. And so, I love the fact that 
the angel Gabriel gives her the clue, go to Elizabeth. She believes in a God of impossibilities. So it gets key that Mary, she doesn't go to the priest and say, I saw an angel. Uh, they would have turned her over. She doesn't even go to Joseph. Because like, could you imagine how that conversation went? Like, <laughs> Joseph, get that look off your face. I told you it was an angel. Um, <laughs> her life is in danger, and she says yes to the will of God, trusting in God, but she's not trusting the religious authorities. There's a certain countercultural bravery to her. Um, and Luke says a small line I love where it says, her name was Mary. If you know the Old Testament, you'd be like, holy cow, got it. Who's the f person who started the first rebellion in the Old Testament? Her name was Mary. Her name was Mary. What's that? I just gave you the answer. <laughs> it's Miriam. Mary and Miriam are the same. It's Moses' older sister who starts a rebellion, not Moses. She starts it as a little girl saying to her parents, no, do not fold, because her parents didn't want to have children um, after um, Pharaoh said he'll kill the boys. And she says, no, life is more important. It's Miriam who came up with a way to save Moses. Moses does became the, become the great liberator, but the one who lit the spark was Mary, Miriam. And so Mary, it's the name of the first prophet in the Old Testament. The first prophet in the Old Testament is not Moses. It's his older sister. Um, so Jesus, at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, is going to be pictured as a, a prophet, this great prophet. But Mary is the one who leads a spark. The same way Mary, Miriam, in the Old Testament, she sings a song of liberation. What does Mary in the New Testament do? Sing the song of liberation. Um, so the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat, is a song of liberation of, you know, in the face of, um, you know, overwhelming odds, God always turns everything upside down. In the Gospel of Luke, that's a sub-theme. God constantly is turning things upside down. And in the early church, you would actually sing the Magnificat at the Eucharist. And the Gospel of Luke... Um, has the most songs of all the Gospels. There's a lot of singing in the Gospel of uh, Luke, but Mary sings that God works in backwards ways. Um, uh, so she sings about the God uh, and says the Lord turns everything upside down. So Mary and Elizabeth, they, they're this example, uh, theme in the Gospel of Luke that, wow, Luke is going to be provocative and have this whole different start. The other thing about the um, prologue is that it speaks about the lineage of Christ. In, in Matthew, it goes back to um, uh, Abraham because, you know, Abraham is the father of faith. Luke wants to say we're all united. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. We are one family. And so his genealogy goes clear back to Adam. And then the birth story, um, you know, I mentioned, my, my joke is the Gospel of Luke is Italian because it's always about the meal. While there's no meal actually told in the prologue, the story of Jesus' birth is about a future meal. Um, that's how it's written. So hospitality is denied to them in the city of David, but then Mary reclines, actually says, she reclines Jesus in a feeding trough. Um, like Jesus is the future meal. Does that make sense? So um, it has a meal theme right there. And who are the first invited to the table? The shepherds. And the shepherds would have been considered on the lower lowest rung of society. And this is important. The Pharisees hated the shepherds. Pharisees hated the shepherds because they... Shepherds couldn't keep all their rules and regulations. So Jesus, the one who's denied hospitality at his birth, for the rest of the gospel, in the ten meals, he'll be offering hospitality. Um, and I love the fact that Luke is always concerned about bringing everybody in. And so the first people that are brought in are um, 
the shepherds, the outsiders, or even, like this sounds kind of strange, um, at the presentation, you have this story about Anna, the prophetess, uh, and she and Simeon both greet the child. So Lucas always has this strange, fair balance between men and women. If there's a story, if Christ tells a story about God in, as a male, guess what? In the Gospel of Luke, he then follows it with a story about God as a mother. Isn't that kind of amazing? Like, he, you don't find that amazing? I know. So he always makes sure it's balanced. And so Anna, it says, was married for seven years, then 84 years spent fasting and praying. So she's, she's the Judah of the Old Testament. Judah, Judith was uh, married for seven years and spent the rest of her 84 years praying. So it says of Anna that she never left the temple um, just praying night and day. I just mentioned that because not only does it pick up the woman theme that women and men are equal, but also the Gospel of Luke mentions praying the most. So what does Anna do but she prays? Then you also have this theme of the temple because remember, the whole Gospel, the main part of the Gospel is Jesus moving from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem to die. So when he's 12 years old, um, 13 is your bar mitzvah, but at 12 he becomes a man. And um, at, until the age of 12, you would have traveled with your mother and father. And he's traveling in this large group, and they lose Jesus. <laughs> Talk about bad parenting. Um, but they're amazed that they find him in the temple after searching the city for three days. Um, what I think is interesting about that is that that's an homage to the ascension, that, or, uh, sorry, not the ascension, the resurrection, where, remember, three days he died and they search for him and then where do they find him? Uh, they don't find him in the temple, they find him in the breaking of bread, the Eucharist, uh, which is the temple. But that whole thing was just background, uh, that prologue. And I want to overemphasize this. The Gospel of Luke is sometimes called the Gospel of Women because there's more stories about women and Mary than any other of the Gospels. Um, and many of the stories about Mary and Elizabeth, they're exclusive to the Gospel of Luke. Even more so, this is shocking, that you had three women who traveled with Jesus and the apostles. Um, it wasn't just Jesus and the Twelve, it was Jesus, the Twelve Apostles who traveled, and three women. And the women tended and traveled to Jesus. That would have been provocative and shocking at the time period. Um, Jesus is elevating the dignity of women. Um, and so women were also at his death. The 12 apostles, except for John, the beloved disciple, the beloved disciple and the women stayed by the, the um, cross. Makes them braver than the apostles. Or in Acts, which is Luke's volume 2, women are in the upper room when the spirit is poured upon them. Um, and you have more stories about women, like Philip's daughter, uh, who's a prophetess. Um, anyhow, uh, I, I just think that's kind of interesting because you can see how provocative are that, wow, financially, who, who took care of Jesus and the 12 apostles? Three women. Even today, that would be kind of you know, embarrassing in a way. Um, Jesus, in the prologue, he's going to rewrite human dignity. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, Greek or Jew. Um, we're all one. So, what's that? Uh, you could be Italian. I mean, it's okay. Not everybody can be Irish. Um, so, with the gospel, oh, see, she got mad and it left. Uh, with the, the ten meals, getting to the ten meals, there is in the ten meals ten meals, but there's always a little appetizer and then a dessert. Well, so, and the appetizer fits the theme of what's going to happen at the meal. So, um, the appetizer of meal number one is that Jesus doesn't recognize boundaries. Jesus wants to evangelize the entire world, not just the Jews. So, in the Gospel of Luke, um, and this is going to be key to meal number one, is Jesus is portraying that God has a mission 
and he's looking for a church to carry it out. This is going to be different than the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew, God has a church and is looking for the church to carry out a mission. So you have these appetizer stories, like Jesus' first homily. And Jesus' first homily um, is kind of important because, one, it shows that Jesus is literate and could read from scriptures because for us Gentiles, Luke's gospel would have been written to us Gentiles, Greeks and Romans. Being educated would have been important. Um, so uh, people from the peasant class couldn't read. For some reason, Jesus can read. And that would have been important for Luke's class, that he could read, that he was literate. Um, but yet he was an observant Jew. Uh, he is found on the Sabbath to be in the synagogue. And he goes and he gives his first homily. And his first homily, it's a Sabbath year. So it's seven times seven. Um, and a Sabbath year is when there's a whole new beginning. And the Gospel of Luke's theme is, no, Christ wants to have a whole new beginning to humanity. Um, a whole new way to relate to each other. So at first, his homily goes really well. They love it. But by the end of the homily, they want to literally kill him. And they'll say, isn't this Joseph's son? Um, they can't accept the fact that somebody ordinary um, is preaching. And Jesus mentioned this thing about the proverb, physician, cure yourself, which means that proverb, what it really means is you take care of your own. That's what they're saying. You don't worry about these Gentiles and Jews and God and all these other people. You stick with your own kin. Um, and that's when Jesus tells the story of Elijah and Elisha. That with Elijah and Elisha, um, they did miracles among the Gentiles, among us. Because the religious people were, you know, too corrupt. And so who did the miracles happen to? But among the Elisha and Elijah, they go out to the Gentiles. And Jesus makes this point that, wow, God loves the Gentiles. Um, they went to the Gentiles because the Jews were not open to hear them. Jesus is going to do the exact same thing and come to us. So it didn't go over well that Jesus says, no, God loves the pagans and doesn't care about boundaries like who's in and who's out. That God embraces all people. Well, that just shocks them and ticks them off. Um, Jesus' boundaries of love, the frontiers of it, is a little too expansive. So they try and stone him to death. Um, they want to throw him off a cliff. Uh, so in Judaism, to stone somebody, you can either throw the stones at them or you could throw them at the stones. <laughs> um, but it wasn't his time to die, so he walks right through them. And I mentioned this, I mentioned this before, that one of the themes in the Gospel of Luke is um, the exile. The major theme in the Gospel of Matthew is a Passover, where it's all about the pa uh, new Passover. Um, in Luke, it's the exile. Remember the, the Babylonians came in, destroyed the country, hauled everybody off to Babylon, but only, um, not all 12 tribes came back. Only two did. Um, there's tribes missing, and they got intermingled, uh, marrying with other people. So let's say, you know, no offense, Pete. Let's say, you know, Pete's ancestors, he might have a little Jewish blood in him. That means when the Messiah comes back, he's got to save Pete, too. Because Does that make any sense? So if you're going to save all 12 tribes, the problem is the 12 tribes have intermarried with um, the Babylonians and other places. So there's this prophecy that when the Messiah comes, he'll end the exile. The exile, they did return back to um, uh, Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple, but the prophet says, oh no, the exile hasn't ended. We're not all gathered together as one. So what you see is Jesus wanting to, oh, the exile has ended with the Messiah. He's going to gather all people back together as one family. Um, that's going to fulfill everything. So in the gospel, Jesus doesn't care about the externals that separate people, that, you know, you're Italian and I'm better because I'm Irish and you're God knows what you are. Um, he doesn't care about those uh, externals. 
What he wants is everybody united in the Holy Spirit. So once again, the Holy Spirit plays the largest role in the Gospel of Luke. One of the reasons why the Holy Spirit plays the most in the, is because Luke loves to talk about prayer, the Holy Spirit, but the effect of the Holy Spirit is communio. Now really, we're not, you know, race is invented. What really unites us together is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is always concerned about the gathering of all people together. Well, the crowd, they don't like this homily. Um, so uh, you have that. That's a little appetizer before the first meal. Then you have the cure of the demoniac. Um, that seems kind of interesting because he cures this demoniac so that um, orthodoxy may be able to speak about theology, but it has the right words, but no faith. And the fact that Jesus cures the demoniac, that little story is, oh no, real faith speaks about love. And Christ is going to cure religion itself. Then you have the story of uh, Simon Peter's mother. Um, that's another appetizer. We're always in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus prays, and then after he prays, there's this healing. So it's prayer and action. And uh, so he's, he's up in Galilee. He goes to the uh, uh, synagogue, and then he comes home, and he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who has a severe um, illness. But this is, the, this is a big change, and I love this change. In the Gospel of Mark, tells the same story. And when the mother-in-law gets up, it says, she served him, Christ. She's healed, and she immediately serves Christ a meal. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, it changes it. She's healed, and she immediately gets up and serves them, all of them. Um, like, I, do you get the change? Um, no, it's, you know, if you're healed, you no longer um, just serve Christ. Luke is saying, oh no, if you serve Christ, you serve everybody. And the word that he uses when he says serve is the word for deacon. Um, and so, once again, there's no actual meal they're celebrating, but what does she offer if she's healed? She offers a meal. Um, so, the point being is that all these curing, these healings of the beginning, they're not about the fact that he can cure. The first meal is that is about Christ wanting to create a community, a community that gets out and serves other people. So the first meal is the meal with Levi, the call from Levi. And just to let you know the point, once again, the point is about Jesus is creating a church that evangelizes the world. That the church is not for those who think they're saved. The church is for those who want to save others. So the first meal is about us, if we're sitting at the table, our moral code is that we want a deeper conversion so that we can convert other people. And so, as I said, I'm still with the appetizers. It starts with this call from Peter. Um, and it highlights this call from Peter. Um, and he starts with fishermen because he wants to create a church that calls other people in. So it's fishermen. Um, and I love that line, you know, and you will be, uh, uh, the fishermen will become fishers of men. And so Jesus calls the worker bees. Um, he's, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is not calling us from the world to kind of be spiritual monks. He's actually calling us to be spiritual workers in the world. Um, so it doesn't go on a retreat. So he gets into Peter's boat. The church is called the Bark of Peter. Um, he teaches from the boat, and then he says, and this is a great line, I don't want to go too much into this, but he says, put out to deep water, is what you'll read in English. In the, the, the Greek is referring to um, this Hebrew phrase that God says to Abraham in Genesis, where he says, lech lehi, go deep. Um, that's what Christ is going to call all of us, is to go deep. Um, the disciples at this point, they would have been young. Most people think the most scripture scholars would have said that the disciples would have been teenagers or very, very young men. And this miracle happens. The boat is filled with fish. 
you do know like in baptism, the early church considered once you're baptized a fish. So the boat is a church and it's going to be filled with a lot of fish and a lot of different types. But Peter, when this miracle happens, Peter considers himself a sinner. Um, and so Peter asked Jesus to depart because he's not holy. But that's the point, is that the first meal, it calls sinners into the church. Um, it calls the wounded and broken to be part of the church and have a deeper conversion. So does that make sense or did I lose people? So it's about, what well, this story is really about what it means to be church. And then Jesus, after this, heals the lepers. Lepers would have been ostracized by society. They were considered a menace and religiously impure. And Jesus breaks the social code and helps the outcasts. Now, I'll make a big deal about this. Is that um, in the book of Leviticus, I told you this before, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus loves to break rules. So I love when it happens. It'll happen next year. Where the first reading will be how to treat lepers. And how you treat lepers if you obey the book of Leviticus. And you know you guys love the book of Leviticus. Um, uh, that um, There's rules. And if Pete's a, a leper, then the rule is Pete is never allowed to speak to me. And if I speak to Pete and he's a leper, then I will be treated as a leper. I'm never allowed to touch Pete. If I touch Pete and he's a leper, then you must treat me as a leper as well. So if Pete comes, I must turn my back to him. So after the call of Peter the sinner, that no, Christ wants everybody in the boat, in the church, he cures a leper, except, think about this, he cures a leper, and the leper speaks to him, and Jesus speaks back, holy cow. That means he just broke the book of Leviticus, and you know you have to, turn your back to Jesus now. Not only does he speak to the leper, but he touches the leper. Because remember, the miracle before, he cured somebody just by his words. But now, he touches him. Why, did Jesus, why didn't just Jesus say something and heal him? Why does he go out of his way to touch him? He's breaking the rule that he wants everybody in the church and cures the, the leper. But at this point, like we do this next year. You have to choose, well, which one are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the book of Leviticus, or are you going to follow Christ? You created that tension. Does that make sense? Um, well, if you're going to follow Christ, then no, you, religion, Christ wants to create this religion that doesn't cut people off. Nobody's damned. We'll go after them, and we'll make them part of the church. So, it's extreme hospitality. Um, just one more. Um, uh, you have the healing of the paralytic where they opened up the roof, but it says they removed tiles. Greeks and Romans used tiles. Jews didn't. So you know Luke put it in a setting with Romans. Does that make sense? Um, they ripped the roof off and they lower the guy. And there's kind of something important there because when they lower the guy down for a healing, Jesus says, looks up, and says, their faith healed you. He doesn't say, your faith healed you. It's not about you. It's not about your faith. It's about the church's faith that is able to heal and save other people. That our faith is the one who, we're going to find some way to get people to Jesus, even if we have to take the roof off. Does that make any sense? It's a story about what it means to be church. Um, so, I like that. Um, so, once again, even that, when he says, their faith healed you, the idea is that, yeah, we're the ones who are going to, we're going to find some way to get the Minnesotans into the church. If we have to, we'll take off the roof, but their faith has healed you. And then, once he does this, once again, the Pharisees get upset because that's, you know, they're the teachers, and they get upset because um, they want to question, where does Jesus' authority come from? How? How does he do that? That the crowds see that the Pharisees, their power comes from bureaucratic rules and regulations. 
But they say, oh, he teaches with authority. His authority comes from God. Um, and so they accuse Jesus, the Pharisees accuse Jesus of blasphemy again. And then they make this slight slur against his mother, and they call him the son of Mary. Well, in Judaism, you don't say son of Mary. You'd say son of Al. You wouldn't refer to my mother. Does that make sense? The fact that they're refer calling him son of Mary, that's an insult. Because they remember, they know that there is something suspicious about his family background. Does that make sense? And I love how when Jesus is doing contro something controversial, they'll bring up his mother's controversy um, right from the beginning. Don't, don't you love that? So it's, the theme is about forgiveness, but it's about a forgiveness that threatens bureaucratic power. Um, like I look, Jesus, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk? What he's really condemning is we've built all these walls to keep people away from God. And what the church is, is the ones who rip off the roof. So the first meal um, with a tax collector is about the moral morality of the first meal is going to be, you know, what does it mean to be church? Um, now, tax collectors, so Jesus goes and eats with the tax collectors. And you know, tax collectors, um, they were hated because they would, um, they would overcharge, overtax, and then not just pay the Roman the tax, but they had, you know, work it for themselves as well. So um, this is kind of interesting. He eats with tax collectors. Now Luke doesn't call anyone, Jesus never in Luke, never calls anybody a sinner. Uh, he calls them tax collectors. The Gospel of Mark will say he ate with sinners. Um, and Jesus will use the term sinners. But Jesus never calls anybody a sinner. Pharisees are ones that call other people sinners. And so Levi holds this huge feast because he's left everything. Just like Peter, Peter, you know, after the miracle, he says he left everything. Now Levi has left everything. When it was says everything, it doesn't mean physical possessions because he's able to throw a feast, this huge feast. He's left that way of corruption behind. And he has everybody in his house. And the complainers, the Pharisees, they're there as well. And they complain. Like, I just love the fact that the Pharisees complain, why do you eat with sinners? Um, now, there's two things about that statement I love. Number one, where are the Pharisees at? <laughs> um, he's eating with you. <laughs> you're you're. You don't mind eating a free meal at Levi's house, but you love to complain. Like, do, do you get the great irony? Like, my God, you're eating the food of a sinner and then complaining that Jesus eats with sinners. But here's the other thing. In the Greek, it's amazing. Because um, what they say when they say, uh, you eat with sinners, uh, why do you eat with sinners? The you there is in the plural. So he... They're not asking Jesus, why do you eat with sinners? He's saying, why do you, plural, the church, invite sinners into your church? Do you get, do you get it? It's the same thing of ripping the roof off. Now, yes, I love the Pharisees forget that they're at the dinner too, and that would make them sinners. But they're the types who want to clean out the meal from everybody they deem unworthy. Not who Jesus deems unworthy. Um, so the Pharisees, uh, those are those in the community who right now, because it's written in the present tense, um, right now who think they have the right to judge who comes in and out of the church. But the Eucharist is this call for discipleship, conversion. The Eucharist is not a celebration of those who have been saved, but those uh, who are saving both themselves. Like I, every time we go to the Eucharist, we want a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper communion. I'm oh, sorry, conversion. We want a deeper, and we're hoping when we go to communion, we're able to rip the roof off and lead other people to a deeper conversion. So the Eucharist is not those who've been converted and are perfect. 
they're more like Levi, who have celebrated that we're taking up a different way. We're leaving our old life behind and taking away to holiness. So like, that's a big problem in the church. Uh, when I was in uh, Cascade, McCall, um, my first week in McCall, this young woman, she would have been in her 30s, needed to meet with me. And uh, so she needs to meet with me, and she, she hands me a slip of paper with a bunch of names on it. And the, the names uh, were different women in the parish who she said, you've got to stop them from going to communion. They're not worthy. <laughs> oh, God. Like, this is a small community. And one of the names I knew from, actually, high school. She was a... Um, or junior high, actually, uh, she was a friend's mother, very devout, and I said, well, these are elderly women's names. Like, what do they do? And he said, well, that one doesn't genuflect. And said, yeah, she's 70. <laughs> she's not going to get back up. Uh, and, but, <laughs> what, what's that? What's that? <laughs> Well, believe me, she wouldn't get back up. Um, I did know her. But like, um, but wow, at 30, you're judging these elderly women's holiness of who, you want me to stop them from going to communion? Um, because of, like, well, that one was because of the way she, they genuflect. And like, she didn't get that she was a Pharisee. D does that make any sense? Um, and even, let's say, I, I, these, these were great women. Um, let's say they did have some personal sin. Uh, her name was Catherine. It's none of your business, Catherine. Uh, does that make any sense? Um, so that's what's going on in the call of Levi. The meal is about those who can leave their former life behind, not those who are perfect. So after that, the dessert, Jesus will talk about wine and wine, new wine for, uh, new wineskins for new wine. Um, the meaning of fasting and the Sabbath and all those little dessert stories is that the church is supposed to be this force that evangelizes. Does that make any sense? So, um, uh, you have this theme, and I'll mention it now. Meal number one is about this idea that uh, the Gospel of Luke is also called the Gospel of the Universal Church, which universal church, of course, means Catholic. Um, that the church is not for one class of people or even for the religious experts. Um, Jesus and Luke, he loves to welcome the least likely. Um, so it's very hospitable, but the universal church... Levi, a tax collector at the first meal, is welcomed. We should want that everybody can be welcomed. Everybody has a conversion. In Luke, the centurion is called, Jesus says, has the greatest faith. The Samaritan is pictured as the one who's the most compassionate. Lazarus, the beggar, is the holiest. And who carries the cross of Christ in the Gospel of Luke? A black man who's a laborer. Who's the first person? to say the word that Jesus is Yahweh? Elizabeth. Who's the first evangelist? Mary Magdalene. Who's the greatest example of faith? A woman, Mary, rejected. Uh, Luke is saying um, that the outsiders um, are better than some the Pharisees. That meal number one is, no, no, we're going to be a universal church welcoming everybody. We're not going to be judging people the opposite. It's our faith that is going to save them. That's a much different view. Does that, does that make any sense? So remember, each meal has a certain morality. All these little meals, that if you eat at the table of Jesus, the Eucharist, you're not put on the earth to condemn other people. You're, if you're at the table, then your conversion is supposed to save other people, not condemn them. So that's the first meal. Make sense? Okay. Meal number two is dinner at Simon the Pharisee. Um, and just to let you know the point of this meal, then I'll explain it. It's love. So meal number one, conversion, evangelization. Meal number two, love and gratitude. So the appetizers is teaching on love. Um, 
that we're not supposed to judge. Uh, you ju- you, uh, the, it's a teaching on knowing a tree from its fruit. And what you should be looking for is the fruit of love. So the second meal presupposes discipleship. But now it asks the question about reconciliation, forgiveness. It's not just a matter of a meal being called, that's number one, but a meal that celebrates love. So at the second meal, Jesus is anointed for death, but he's living, which means ah, Jesus is a living reality. And this meal is a symposium. A symposium is a Greek meal, remember? Uh, do you remember that? Because oh. uh, A symposium is a Greek meal. Um, so this is a symposium. Now, at symposiums, the Romans got really raunchy. When it came for the entertainment, it was usually a prostitute. Um, this is going to be very similar, except it's going to be a prostitute, but a prostitute who's forgiven, who can experience great gratitude and love. So it's the opposite. So Jesus is at the dinner with his Pharisee, and the Pharisee doesn't think that he has much to be forgiven of, so he's not very grateful, nor does he love other people. And so Jesus directly challenges the Pharisee who doesn't have the same gratitude as the former prostitute. Um, He doesn't have the same gratitude um, because he doesn't think he has much to be forgiven. And the answer is given in the next line. I love this quote. I tell you that is why her many sins are forgiven because her love is great. Although she has a great debt, The woman is coming to the banquet to express great love because she's been forgiven. And then Jesus has this other great line I like. Little is forgiven the one whose love is small. Um, It's not the size of the debt that matters, whether it's large or uh, small, but the kind of love that expressed in the meal. So um, Jesus is at the meal, and the meal is this obligation to big love. If you're truly grateful uh, to Christ, you don't spend it hating other people. You spend it loving other people. And the point, so that's the first point. The meal is about love. The second point of this meal is about love allows you to see other people. Because the sinful woman comes in and anointing Jesus' feet. Um, And Jesus says to Simon, Did you see her? Isn't that a great line? Did you see her? No, he didn't. In his mind, all he sees is, quote-unquote, a sinner. Um, Love hasn't opened his eyes to see somebody who's changed their life. He didn't see her. All he could see was a sinner. Don't you love that? Um, And remember, symposium, which are Greek meals, women weren't allowed to attend. Uh, On a few occasions they were, but women weren't allowed to attend, and if they did, they had to, couldn't recline, they had to sit up straight uh, at the end of the couch, or worse, they were brought in as entertainment. Um, and so she goes overboard, she, dro- she um, washes his feet with her tears, dries it with her hair, um, uh, anyhow, there's a whole Greek thing, um, Greek would dry the, the Greeks would take their hair and dry statues of the gods uh, as a sign of being divine. The fact that she's using her hair to dry. In the Greek world, we'd say, oh, she's saying he's God. Um, and Judas, of course, gets upset with the cost. But the point is, is that if you share in the Eucharist, your life is spent loving other people. And as I said, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus never calls anybody a sinner. That's what Pharisees do. So I love that. Did you see her? And with love, your eyes are open to see more than just people's sins. And then after this becomes one of my favorite stories. I know I have a lot of favorite stories, but this is really one of my favorites. The dessert for this. So they have the meal. So the point being is that if you eat at the table of Jesus, meal number two is love that you see people differently. You love other people and see them differently. So that's the meal, so you know that's going to be the dessert. Does that make sense? So the dessert story is, once again, about love, except it's about seeing people. 
And, um, oh, it's a story of Jairus, Jairus and his daughter. So this is a great story, and Luke changes it. So this is just a fantastic story. Where um, Jairus comes, you'll play Jairus. Jairus comes, and, um, oh, you'll be Jairus. Jairus comes, and um, Jairus, and he has a 12-year-old daughter who's dying. Okay, this is serious. Jesus, you got to come to my house. Um, and it says that Jairus is, in English, I'll say a synagogue official. Technically, he's not just a synagogue official. He's the one who uh, makes sure people obey the rules. Remember, the Gospel of Luke loves to break rules. So he's the rule. So, Jesus, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. No problem. I- I'm coming. But there's a huge crowd. And then this old woman comes through the crowd, touching everybody. She, and she's been hemorrhaging for how many years? So, you, there's this connection. The girl is 12. She's been hemorrhaging for 12. Doctors can't cure her. She's, and, oh, if she's been hemorrhaging, it means she's unclean. We all have to avoid her. And if anybody touches her, you're considered unclean. And then you have the ablution rites that would last an entire week. So, like, if she accidentally touch, touches me, I have to be quarantined for a week and have these ablution rites. She's coming in and touching everybody. And she comes in and she touches the thread of Jesus' uh, prayer shawl tassels. Remember, Jews wore prayer shawls, and the tassels are called wings. Does that make sense? Um, do, but does it make sense? Okay, they had these prayer shawls, my hands are the tassels. They had these tassels, and the tassels are called the wings. Um, and the prophecy is under the wings of the Messiah, you'll find healing. So the old woman interprets that, oh, it's his wings, the tassels. If I could just touch one of those, I'll be healed. And she touches, in the Greek, just a thread. And um, Jesus turns around, Pete will play the old woman. Um, you really shouldn't sit there, Pete. Um, <laughs> Jesus turns around and says, somebody touch me! <laughs> Which is comical, because like, the disciples say, we're packed in here like sardines. We're all touching each other. No, no, somebody touch me. And he embarrasses this woman. He says, you, you tell him what you did. And she tells him. Now, if you're Jewish... And she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. What do you think? Oh, gosh. I'm going to be sequestered for a week, right? Great. Um, So this happens. Now, the key is Jairus. That's the key to the story. His daughter is dying. At this point, what is Jairus? He's the one who enforces the rule. Jairus, what are you supposed to say? Jairus is going to say, sorry, Jesus, my 12-year-old daughter has to die because rules are rules. Does that make sense? Um, And it's the dog that didn't bark. Jairus says nothing. That's the shocking part. The Jairus doesn't say, wait a minute. No, no, she's dead. Let her die. And the idea is this. It's a clever story. However Jairus treats the old woman the very same thing will happen to his beloved daughter. You treat her as dead, she'll stay dead. Does that make sense? It's scary, isn't it? Like, so Jairus has two options. You can look with the eyes of the law, of, you know, the rules are rules, or you can look with the eyes of love. With the eyes of love, I don't care about those silly rules. I don't, does that make sense? With the eyes of love, like, oh, no, she's a victim, my daughter's a victim. Both will be saved. Does that make sense? So, remember, meal two is, well, how do you see people? Are you going to choose a morality of love or rules and regulations? Are you going to be a Pharisee or are you going to be loving? Um, All I see when I look at you is a sinner or are you going to choose not with love? You see the person. Does that make any sense? So, like, 
I love that. Meal number one, conversion. Meal number two, you have to believe in love. You see other people through the eyes of love. If you don't want to, great. Don't eat, eat at the table of Jesus. So, sorry, I went a little bit over, but does that make sense what um, meals one and two are? So here's my question. What would be a sin against meal number one? Well, meal number one is about evangelization. I think what desecrates the Eucharist on meal number one is if I think, you know, I go to the Eucharist, then I'm saved and Jesus loves me. It's me and Jesus. Does that make sense? But in those stories, remember, the roof is ripped open and it says, their faith saved you. In the dessert, it's Peter's mother-in-law who gets up and immediately serves them. Not just Jesus, not herself. So I think the desecration of meal number one is if you think, well, I go to communion for myself. I receive the Eucharist for myself. Not to get everybody in this net that all the fish should be in the boat, that everybody should be. Does that make sense? Because I do find, I hate to say, some Catholics who think, like I told you, one woman here at St. Pius, when I said I wanted to work the communio, you know, that for one year just work on the idea of communio, that we're all connected through the Holy Spirit. And the woman said, um, listen, when I go to Mass, I just focus on the altar. I don't care about anybody else. Well, you probably shouldn't have meal number one then. Does that make sense? It's not about you, it's about us. That's, what would be a desecration of meal number two? If meal number two is um, all about looking with love, Yeah, that all I can see is your faults. Which, by the way, no, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm funny. Um, so that's meals one and two in the Gospel of Luke. So sorry I went five minutes over, but any questions about anything? Yes. Yes, 12-year-old girl. Okay, can I answer that? Um, sorry. That's, I always do this at weddings and funerals. Because um, there could be non-Catholics. And they don't understand going to communion. You're making a vow. It's not just a meal, it's a vow. Um, so I always tell them, um, you know, I'll say something like a wedding. <clears throat> if it's a wedding, I'll say, uh, for Catholics, going to communion is a wedding vow to Christ. Um, so we take this serious. So if you're not Catholic, I still invite you to forward, but please cross your arms. And this is a symbol for a blessing, and I'll give you a blessing. Because I want them to explain that um, it's not rejection, it's a commitment. But like, I, I, my way is, I don't want to say if you're not, like, I would never say, if you're not Catholic, don't come to communion. Because it's not hospitable. And it doesn't explain why. It just makes it look like, well, if you're not Jewish, you're damned. Um, you know what I mean? Um, so I, will, I always try and explain it just a little bit, that no, it's about this commitment to love. Um, so, so I'm not really denying, I'm calling, I feel like I'm upping the game. So, Any other questions? Oh, yes, oh, sh she rose her hand first. I can't, s are you from Post Falls? No, <laughs> I had better, but like, I, I wanted to talk to you, but you were here yesterday, weren't you? Okay, yeah, okay. No, no, that's okay, I just remember thinking, oh, you're, that's the one I wanted to talk to. Um. I don't know, but I certainly like to think so. That is the law of hospitality. So I do love that thought that I received communion. At least I'm under the protection of Christ for three days, just in case I die. <laughs> I know I'm bizarre, but I do think that.
Okay, so did you? So she has a friend who, when they go to a restaurant, she wants to taste everybody else's food. <laughs> which actually, my aunt used to be that way. I love my aunt, but she was always saying, "No, no, I'm not hungry." And then you know, she'd be like, "Well, let me just have a taste of that." <laughs> um, so they bought her an extended fork. Um, <laughs> that is funny. But I love the theme. I like. I just love the Gospel of Luke. I just think it's so clever of pushing the bounds of hospitality. Um, so, well, I tell you what, we'll continue. Oh, oh yeah, it's what Post Falls has. What, what's your name, Jeanette? Janine? Janine. It's Janine. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Jeannie. I am a father. All right, Jeanette. <laughs> oh, I was afraid you're going to ask that question. Um, Judith and the other one, Jael, J-A-E-L. Oh, and Deborah. No, there's three. I think I'm missing. I'm missing something. It's not Judith. It's Deborah and Jael. There's this ancient church that I just I love. I would I spend probably every day fantasizing the church that I would build um, if I won a mega mega lottery. Like I have the Adoration Chapel, but I go back and forth because on this. I want a little, I have this in my head, my church, this adoration chapel, but it has an image of Mary, and that at one point I have a um, uh, fresco of Mary, and this is a fresco that actually was in this ancient church, and it's a fresco, and if you walk in, you see Mary, and you see Mary and Jael and Deborah next to her, and if you don't get it, you think, well, it's Mary and two friends? Oh, no, it's... The, all the women that are called blessed are you. So it's warrior women. Oh, the chosen, yeah, that's great, sir. Wow. The problem I have with that is I, I like the chosen. Is that just know this, um, like a story in Mark and a story in Luke are different. Same setting, both healing of the mother-in-law, but in the Gospel of Mark, she gets up and serves Jesus a meal. In the Gospel of Luke, she gets up and serves everybody. And it's making a different theological choice that, oh, we serve everyone. Oh, that's nice, but it's not in the gospel. <laughs> I actually think it's so he could, she could do some sewing, but that's mine. So, glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All right, next week, meal number three and four. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. 
If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comments section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.